The unity that exists in the Godhead is the unity that you and I can have in our lives. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. When I refer to the doctrine of the Trinity and that sort of thing, almost immediately someone's reaction might be something like, uh, that's, that's theological, that's theology. What does that have to do with my life anyway? I need practical. When you hear the word Trinity, what comes to mind? Well, most people think of it as a religious or church word. Orthodox Christianity understands Trinity to be a reference to the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But have you ever thought about the Trinity as a model for relationships? It was the Father who desired to have a relationship with you and me and was willing to allow His Son to go and pay for the sins of mankind. The Son was the one who was willing to come and lay down His life that you and I might take up His eternal life. And the Spirit was willing to bring conviction in our lives, drawing you into a relationship with Him. All three persons of the Godhead were involved in your salvation. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk and our next message in the Truth Project series. John chapter 17 records what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. Shortly before He was crucified, Jesus prayed to the Father on behalf of all believers. A close look at that intimate conversation between the Son of God and God the Father reveals to us aspects about the relationship within the Godhead that can help us in our relationships. One of the mistakes that people make today is failing to realize that theology is practical. Two of the bedrock pillars of our society are the home and the church, and both of them are in trouble. Marriages and families are being torn apart. Many churches fight and squabble and seem to have no power. Well, today, Pastor Clay shows us that God not only gives us the power to succeed, He also gives us the model of unity. We're glad you've joined us today. Let's make sure to give this week's message our undivided attention. How are your relationships doing with people? And I might be referring specifically or most intentionally on your marriage, if you happen to be married, your family, uh, your church, those types of things. How, how are those relationships going? How are you doing with your wife, your, your husband? How is it with your, your children? In your life groups this week, your, your small groups that meet in homes, uh, if, if you happen to be in one, uh, you know that we've been walking through the Truth Project. Uh, it's now like week seven or something like that. The study this week in your life group uh, should be, if we're all up to the same thing, uh, should be uh, entitled Sociology, the Divine Imprint. Sociology, the Divine Imprint. Now, Webster defines sociology this way. Sociology is the study and classification of human societies. That's what sociology is. The study and classification of human societies. Human societies are made up of people. Isn't that brilliant? Went to school to learn that. Societies are made up of people. Societies are made up of people in relationship with other people. Whether it's a a nation and the society of that and, and the, un, the other societies that make up the overall society. 
It's relationships. As I said a moment ago, particularly I'm referring to the relationships within the family, within the home, within the, the church, the body of, of believers gathered together. They're, they are part of societies and make up what a, what a society is. So the life group study this week, the Truth Project, goes in that direction. It begins to go in the direction about looking at the relationships that make up a society, particularly, as I said, the home the church, that sort of thing. Not surprisingly, God has something to say about relationships and the relationships that that make up our society. I believe that God gives us a model for relationships. Although you may have never thought of it or looked at it as a model before. I'm referring to what is sometimes known as the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In church talk, it's referred to as the doctrine of the Trinity. Any of y'all ever heard that term before? The, the doctrine of the Trinity, the idea that God is and has revealed himself as, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, when I talk about this doctrine of the Trinity, let me, let me just, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but when I refer to the doctrine of the Trinity and that sort of thing, uh, perhaps for someone out here this morning or someone uh, listening on the internet, almost immediately someone's reaction might be something like, oh yeah, but that's, uh, uh, that's, that's theological, that's, that's theocentric, that's, that's theology. What does that have to do with my life anyway? I need practical, Right? Someone may have thought that. Okay, theology, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. I need practical in my life. One of the mistakes that people make today, honestly, is failing to realize that theology is practical. That theological issues are practical for our lives. As a matter of fact, I would say that in one way or another, almost every issue or idea or 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 area of your life in one way or another ultimately comes down to a theological issue. And by theological, I mean that there's, that there's a connection to God in it. So, how are you doing on your relationships, those areas of your life? I want to give you this morning... Again, I did the same thing last week. I want to give you, before we read the text, before we go to God's Word, I want to give you this morning what I call the the BP square, uh, the big picture biblical principle. I want to give it to you first this morning, and then we're going to open God's Word, and we're going to read it. And I'm giving it to you first because I want you to read, and I want you to hear, I want you to listen to the text that we're going to be reading in John chapter 17. I want you to read it in the context of this BP square that that I'm giving to you, which is this. God's unity is the model for our community. Now, if you like to write, there's a place on the back of your, of your, uh, your information sheet that, that's got some blanks, and you can, you can fill that in. It's the overarching idea that I'm pulling from John chapter 17 today that, that we're going to apply to our relationships. By the way, I think it's good every once in a while to kind of back up and look at my relationships. Look at my, my marriage 
Look at my relationship with my, with my children and, and so on and so forth. Rather than just take those things for granted as I am so guilty of doing at times, but to, to back up and evaluate in light of God's word and in light of what I believe you'll see as a model today of how relationships ought to be done. God's unity is the model for our community or communities. And when I say that, I'm referring to our relationships. God's given us a model for it in what's known as the Godhead. John chapter 17 is where we are this morning. If you brought a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to open there. And we're going to have the text on the screen as well. I'm going to read the entire chapter, and it's kind of lengthy, but... It's, it's the overall principle that I'm going for here that I'm trying to bring out. And because John chapter 17, I, I just, I don't, I don't know where to stop it. Let me give you the context. Jesus is just a few hours from the cross. He's about to be crucified. And rather than focusing on his concerns or his problems or his worries, he takes time to offer what is, we sometimes refer to now as the high priestly prayer. Jesus offers up a prayer to the Father on our behalf. I think that's an amazing thing. Because I know in my own life, in my circumstances at times, I got, it's easy for me to get focused on me and think, well, whatever uh, problems they're having, they're just going to have to work it out because this is what's going on in my life right now. But here he is focused on us in this hour that he knows is coming. I consider this, I believe in all of Scripture, it's all truth without mixture of error, it's apple for every area of life, but John 17 is one of those texts that to me is high and holy ground. It's almost, and I'll tell you this, even this, as I've been working through this text, there are times when I almost felt as if I were intruding on some very personal family moment. And yet, God invites us to come in. That's why it's recorded in his word. John chapter 17. Jesus spoke these things. Lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you, have, and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I ask On their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and 
yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. You ever wish he had? I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. Hey, that's us. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. So that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. As I said, I think it's a very personal, intimate moment between the Father and the Son. In John uh, John 17, only it's a, it's a conversation in relationship only between the Father and the Son, but there are plenty of other texts that deal with the relationship between the Father and the Spirit and the Son and the Spirit. You would have to be, I think you would have to be trying to not see the closeness, the intimacy between the Father and the Son in John 17. It's just all, it's just everywhere in front of you. To not, to not see it, to say, well, I don't really see it. To not see the intimacy, the, the, the unity in the Godhead in John chapter 17, you, you, just, you just can't be looking. Uh, in, in so many places, it shows up. In, in verse 1, it, it says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Notice the equality. Father, glorify me that I can glorify you. In, in verse 3, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Notice the equality. Belief in, in the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. In verse 5, 
Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Notice the equality. It's the same glory that I had with you, Father, from the beginning, from, from before I've had it with you. Verse, uh, verse 10. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. Notice the equality. In verse 11, they are one. In verse 21, they are one. In verse 22, they are one. It's this unity that existed in the Godhead. I want to, I want to share with you in, in a few moments what I would call two aspects of this, of this unity. Now, this, from John 17, these aren't the only aspects of the unity of the Godhead, but these are two aspects from John chapter 17 that I think have, have implications and applications for our life and for our relationships. Remember, I started with that question. How are your relationships? Two aspects that I, that I want to go over real briefly with you, and, and then two observations about our unity in community, in our relationships, in, in light of what we see in John 17 in the relationship with God, what we see or what the observations are for our lives. So let me just go through these uh, just about as quickly as I can. The first aspect is this. The Godhead has a unifying purpose, and that purpose is to redeem a people. In John chapter 17, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has a unifying purpose, and that purpose is to redeem a people. There's unity, there's all in it, you see it in the text, but, but this idea of redeeming a people shows up in verse 2 where it says that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. It's this purpose for which the Son came, to redeem a people, which I simply mean by that a group of people who would recognize their need for him and recognize and believe in his ability to provide for them eternal life. That all who he would give to him, meaning to Jesus, he would give unto them eternal life. This, this unity in purpose that existed between them. Purpose is a good thing. And even within the Godhead, there's a purpose in what God is doing in sending us his son. Um. In, in this, this purpose that exists in, in the sending of his, of, of his son and this, this decision of the, of the Godhead, there's an understanding, and most of us would probably already grasp it, there's an understanding that you and I were in a bad way. We, we were, well, the Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory or the, or the standard or the mark of God. Every one of us. The result, the consequence, again, according to the Bible, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages or the cost of that sin is what? Say it. Death. The cost, the wages of that sin that you and I and all of us have committed is death. And that not only means the, uh, the physical demise and decay of this physical body, it also means the spiritual uh, person within this body, the spirit that, that I am and was created to be, that it is, 
eternally and forever separated from holy God because of my sin. You and I would be in a helpless, hopeless situation had it not been for the fact that God had a plan and that his purpose would be fulfilled in redeeming a people for himself, buying us back from the sin curse. You and I um, usually acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. We acknowledge that Jesus has, has paid for our sins and, and pardoned our sins. And, and that's right. It's, it's rightfully so. But you need to remember that that all of the Godhead was involved in your redemption. It was the Father who desired to have a relationship with you and me, even in our sinfulness, even, even though we were worthless and useless, quite honestly, the Father loved us enough to desire to have a relationship with us and was willing to allow His Son to, co- to go and pay for the sins of mankind. The Father was involved. The son was the one who was willing to come and lay down his life that you and I might take up his eternal life. And the spirit is the one who brings and was willing to bring conviction into our lives over our sin. See, that's, that's the beginning. I have to understand that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God. And the Spirit was willing to bring conviction in our lives. And the Spirit was willing to woo us, to draw us to God. Here's a newsflash for any of you that don't know it. You didn't just decide one day. If you're here in a relationship with Jesus, you didn't just decide one day that you were going to give your life to Jesus Christ. I can assure you the Spirit of God was working in your life through your circumstances, through, through just His power, through other people, through whatever, drawing you into a relationship with Him. All three persons of the Godhead were involved in your salvation. So, so united in this that they are three and yet they are thought of as one God. It may be too much for my mind to comprehend, but it is not too much for my, for my heart and my spirit to appreciate what God would do for me. It, it was his purpose. Purpose is, can be a really unifying thing. Whether you're talking about your marriage, whether you're talking about your, your home, your family, whether you're talking about your church, whether you're, you're talking about even a, an athletic team or a, a corporation, having a, a single purpose unifies, brings people together. I was thinking about the purpose of, of cross-culture uh, church. Uh, I, we've got an official one, but I, I was thinking of it last night that, that just in short terms, the, the purpose of cross-culture church is to glorify God by changing the world. I was just saying, that's just as simple a way as I could put it. To glorify God by changing the world. And it should, it can, become this unifying purpose from which we rally around that unifies a group of people who come from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic situations, Different crises and problems in your life, but we have a single purpose, to glorify God by changing the world. The Godhead had this, this purpose, this unifying purpose. There's another aspect of this unity that I see in John chapter 17. It looks like this. The Godhead has a unifying love. I think that you can see the love between the Father and the Son. I think you can see it all through John chapter 17, but it, but it shows up 
particularly in, uh, in these verses where it shows up in, in verse 23. Thou didst love me. I'm using kind of the old language there. Thou didst love me in verse 24. Thou didst love me before the foundation of the world. Verse 26. The love wherewith thou didst love me. Do you hear this pattern? At least three times Jesus says, the Father, Father, I know how much you love me. And of course, we see the love that the Son has for the Father. It shows up throughout the life of Jesus as he willingly comes and, and accomplishes the desires of the Father, the purpose of the Father to redeem a people unto himself. It's this, it's this unifying love that exists. How's that doing? How's that going in your relationships? So intimate, so close, so loving is the relationship within the Godhead that as I said a while ago, as I read parts of it, it's almost like I, maybe I shouldn't even be here right now. It's almost like I'm intruding on this deep, personal, intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. Love is another one of those things that is a unifying part of our lives, or should be a part of our lives. How are you doing in that area of your life? How, how, I was thinking about this. Is, is this, you don't have to answer this out loud, but just, just, just ask this question. Is this church a unifying love church? I've been asking myself that question. Is this church, is cross-culture church, a unifying kind of love church? Is it the kind of church that, that actually brings people together for, for the good of, of each of them because, not from any ulterior motive, not because of something we want out of it, but because simply we, we love you, we, we love you, we care about you, we desire that we would come alongside each other and meet every need that any of us would have because we care about each other that deeply. It's a unifying kind of love. I don't have to tell you this, you already know this is true, but not all love is unifying. A lot of people's love is conditional. Yeah, I'll love you as long as you do this. I'll love you as long as, as, long as you, you, you do it that way. I'll love you as long as you meet this requirement in my life. Yeah, I'll love you. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of love is, is conditional. A lot of people use love as a weapon. Y'all ever met anybody like that? Yeah, the, the love, they'll give it when they want a reward, but they also know how to withhold it when they want to punish. A lot of people neglect love. A lot of people uh, abuse love. A lot of people take advantage of other people's love. Unifying love is, is it's self-denying. It's always thinking of the other person first and their needs and what is best for them. Do you remember, maybe if you read this story, the account in the Gospels where Jesus is, uh, he's not far from the cross, he's not far from going for the cross. You remember that, that scene where, where uh, Peter, you know, they're all going to, he's going to break out, he's going to fight and, and all this stuff. And Ma- I think Matthew's the only one that records this, I, I'm not sure. I think Matthew's the only one that records where uh, Jesus, you know, Peter, I think it said that part where Peter cuts off the, the ear of the high priest's servant and Jesus puts it back on. He says, put your sword away. He says, do you not know that I could... I could speak, I could just say the word, I could ask of my father and he would immediately put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. The old song, he could have sent 10,000 angels is based on that, that text. He said, do you not know? It's that kind of love. Do you not know the father? He's ready to, he's ready to respond if, if, I, if I would just ask it. It's that kind of, of love. Does that kind of love exist in your relationships? I know this is kind of serious stuff today, but... But sometimes we need to deal kind of seriously with those subjects. It's unifying in purpose. It's unifying in love. 
I see that in John chapter 17 in this conversation that the son is having with the father. Now, let me give you, uh, in the time that we have left, two observations. Based on that background, two observations about unity in our community. Here's the first one. Unity and community is a birthright from God. And by community, again, let me say it again, by by community, I'm referring to your relationships, particularly your home, particularly your your spouse if you're married, particularly your your children, uh, your extended family, your church family. Unity in community is a birthright from God. In the text, I think it's verse 20, yeah, verse 11, uh, thank you, that, that they may be one as we are. Watch this. That they may be one as we are. Verse 21. That they may all be one. Verse 22. That they may be one just as we are one. At least three times Jesus, only a few hours away from the cross, his his passion, his his burden at that moment seems to be this prayer that he lifts to the Father. That Father, may, may the people that believe in me, may those who follow after me, may their May their relationships be one, even as we are one. See, we think, oh, well, that, yeah, okay, they're, you know, that's God. Okay, that's God, of course. They can get along. <laughs> and, and yet, Jesus prays that we would have that, that same closeness, that same relationship. Does that strike anybody in this place? That it is a birthright of the children of God that we can have relationships that are healthy and whole and strong. That, that give us singular purpose and, 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 and unifying love, I think it must absolutely delight Satan when he sees or causes or has any part in our relationships being anything but unified. I, I think he just must make him smile when, when marriages fall apart and, and, and churches are, are ripped to pieces and bickering and fighting is, is going on, I, I think it, it must truly please him. I, I really think it must. I wonder what the God that died for us thinks as he, as he prays, Father, I want them to be one. They, they need to be one. I, I heard recently about a church that uh, actually... You know, in the Raleigh area, I, I think this happened a number of years ago, but I, I, I heard about a church that split over whether to have round tables in the fellowship hall or, or rectangular tables in the fellowship hall. Pastor was fired, staff member was fired, the church split because some people wanted the round ones and some people didn't want the round ones. This idea of Unity in community. It is a birthright for the redeemed, for those who have been bought back. You, you don't have to. It's a birthright. As I understand Scripture, if we're, if we're adopting the family of God and the, and the Spirit of God dwells within us, and if the, if the Son is praying, if this is not even possible, why does the Son even pray it? Why does He even say, Father, make them one. Father, make them one. Father, can they be one as we are one? Why, why, why even pray that prayer if that's not even possible? All right, here's another one. Here's another one. Unity in community is a billboard for God. 
It's a birthright from God. It is a billboard for God. I, I, I don't know, uh, maybe I have before and I'd just forgotten, but when I, when I read this in John chapter 17, it kind of jumped out at me as if I'd never read it before. In verse 23, it says, I'm in them and you're in me. Remember, he's been talking about that all through John 17. Okay, Clay, we've heard that enough. I in them and you in me, may they experience such perfect unity. Watch this. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. When I read that, it was almost as if I'd never read that before. And I thought, oh my goodness, what he's saying is, is the unity that is exhibited within our relationships, within our home, within our marriages, within our churches. The unity that exists is actually a billboard for God. That's what he says. He says, may they be one. At least part of the motivation for Jesus praying this prayer is is because it it is how the world... I mean, those outside of relationship with God, that, that one of the ways that they will know that this is valid, that this is real, that, that what God did and accomplished for them is, is actually a real thing. They'll know it by the unity they see in our relationships. Wow. That kind of made me feel guilty when I read it, because I know how lousy I can be sometimes at relationships. I know how, how much I can take advantage of my wife and, and how much I can neglect my, my relationship with her or honor her. In my role as a husband. And Jesus says, that's how people know. And if you think about it, it makes perfect sense, right? We Christians, oh, buddy, we talk a good game, don't we? talk a big game. Oh, yeah, come to Jesus, buddy. Peace, happiness, joy, contentment, fulfillment. Oh, we, man, we talk a big game. But is it there? Do we see it? Husbands? Do you love your wife in such a way that, that people can see that you're willing to, to, to place yourself under her needs? Wives, do you honor your husbands in such a way that is different from the world around you? Do the churches who, who fly the banner of Jesus, do they display a, a love and a unity that would make people say, what time do those services start? I got to get down there. I'd like some of that in my life. I talking about, I mentioned the church, the, the split. It made me think, then when, I, when I was thinking about that, it made me think of this other church. Uh, Cindy's dad, my father-in-law, Dallas, lives on Nopone Road. It's the name of the road. It's an Indian name. I don't know what it means. Nopone Road. There's no pone on that road, I don't know. But no pone road. It, there's these two, like, more kind of major roads. That are, I mean, he lives out in the country, but these two roads. The no pone road connects these two roads. So you could think of it like you look down and see an H, okay? No pone road connects these two roads. At one end of no pone road is, is Dewberry Church number one. Want to guess what's at the other end of no pone road? The other end of no pone road is Dewberry Church number two. There used to just be Dewberry Church or Dewberry Baptist Church, I think it was. You know what they split over? This is, this is kind of local lore or legend. Nobody uh, that I had talked to is able to substantiate it, but I guess maybe nobody's around back then when it happened. You know what they split over? A chicken dinner. That's the word, a chicken dinner. And I can't remember what it was. Either they couldn't agree on the price or they couldn't decide whether they should do a breast or a leg or I don't know what it was. But they split over a chicken dinner. And we wonder why we've got empty seats in here this morning. We wonder why churches are 
are half full on Sunday morning and bars are packed out on Saturday night. Even drunks seem to get along better than we do sometimes. Now, um, like I said, I know this kind of a... Because all, all of us fail at it at times. But, I, but I'm encouraged by the fact that Jesus, that Jesus prays this. I'm encouraged by the fact that, that, that Jesus, before he goes across, that this is what's on his mind. This is what he's thinking about is this unity that ought to exist in the family of God. Not only in the church, but, but in our homes, in our marriages, in, in, in those social settings of our life. That, that there's something about it that is different that people sit up and take notice. Uh, no doubt there are people in here who have experienced the pain of divorce. I'm not trying to, to, to raise anybody's level of, of pain. Uh, and, I, and I do and, and am of the conviction that Scripture, that God does allow for divorce in a couple of different instances. But statistically speaking, here, here's all I'm saying. Statistically speaking, uh, the divorce rate in, in the United States is somewhere around 50 51, 52% now, from what I understand. The divorce rate within the church, in other words, by that I mean people actively involved in a church, is at the exact same level. And all I'm saying is, what if it were half of that? What if it were a quarter of what the, the national average, if you, if, you, if you will, were? Do you think people might, might take notice of that? Do you think people might say, wow, they, I wonder if there's something there that maybe we should... Our marriage is in trouble. Maybe there's something there that we should, that we should look into. And, and whether you're here and you're married or you're not, or if you're here if, you're, if you've been divorced before or, or you're not, what, I, what my word is to you today is, is this is the prayer for our lives right now where we are. So in, in your relationship, whatever it is, wherever you are, what are you going to do about it to make sure that there's unity in your community? Jesus thought enough about it to pray for us for it. Maybe we ought to take notice of that and begin to to look at the model that we see in the Godhead and the type of of community that we see within the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the the unity that existed between them and that we would ask even as Jesus, maybe we would join Jesus in his prayer and that we would pray, Father, if it's important enough to the Son, it ought to be important enough to me. I want to pray that I'd have that kind of unity in my life. I want to pray that I'd be that conscious, that I'd have that kind of love that you have for the Son and the Son has for you and that the Spirit has for the Father and the Son. Lord, I pray that my marriage would be that strong, that, would be that, that, that even though it might be two persons in a, in a marriage, that we might be so united that it would be one flesh, as Genesis says. That I, that I would do all that I can in my relationship with my children. My children are doing what they can in relationship with me as a parent. And that we would be and have unity in our community. The big picture biblical principle from John 17 is absolutely true and applicable for our lives. The unity that exists in the Godhead is the unity that you and I can have in our lives. But it's not automatic. It's got to be worked at. And it's got to be willing to say, Lord God, help me to be conscious of where I'm coming short of this. Help me to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. May there be unity in our community. What unity that exists within the Trinity? Their single purpose and abiding love are characteristics that all of us can employ in our relationships. We're not God and 
we're not going to get it right all of the time. But as we've seen today, Jesus prayed for us that we would be one as He and the Father are one. When our marriages, our homes, and churches reflect the image of God through our unity, the world will sit up and take notice. As Pastor Clay said, we become a billboard for God. There's a new Crosswalk lesson each week available at crosswalkonline.org and at crossculturelife.org. Visit us online and find out how you can join one of our life groups and participate in the small group study of The Truth Project. And join us next week as Pastor Clay continues this timely and life-changing series. Cross Culture Church has a new home in Raleigh. We invite you to join us for our weekly cross-culture worship with upbeat Christ-centered music and timely encouraging biblical messages celebrating the goodness of our God and what it means to be in a relationship with Him. Cross Culture Church meets Sunday mornings at 1030 in the auditorium at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture, you'll find a community of believers with the desire to be used by God to show that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.